Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joe Galati, who is one half of the ownership duo of Commune. It's a vegetarian, vegan restaurant off Parsons, right near kind of where Nationwide Children's Hospital is uh, here in Columbus, Ohio. He's not a lifelong food restaurant, you know, desire kind of guy. Like he was working, uh, doing graphic design and then just kind of fell into opening a restaurant with his friend. Brooks there. They opened Commune, started out as a pop-up, then basically turned it into a restaurant, found a space kind of in a part of town that was starting to undergo some revitalization, but was still pretty desolate at the time when they were getting around to beginning to do construction on the building that they took over. And Ben Cannavale was the first chef, then Jacob Inscore was the second executive chef. And now they have a team of just kind of sous chefs that are all kind of banded together and, and running the kitchen. So we get into all that and how he kind of first got into being a vegetarian and how he met Brooks and why they decided to open a restaurant and go the route that they did and future plans and challenges with COVID and being a small restaurant and an independent restaurant and owner in a city that really embraces the chain restaurants. We have more kind of chef-driven and chef-owned restaurants now than probably we've ever had in the history of the food scene here in Columbus. But for the longest time, the claim to fame for the Columbus food scene was always, you know, it's 800, 1,000 miles away from, you know, 80% of the population. We're just a test market for all these different chains to try out new French fry recipes or new chicken sandwiches or what have you. So Columbus is finally starting to kind of get to this point where it's going to have its own food scene and its own kind of life and identity that's not really associated with the chains and the corporations like it used to be before COVID. So Joe's an awesome guy, just really sharp and just, you know, really explains well the perils of being a small restaurant and just all the challenges with COVID and financials and why they made the decisions that they made and still trying to figure out how to go forward and like just with masks alone, like, well, do we, you know, require masks? Do we not? Do we require proof of vaccination? Do we not? Do we have the staff wear masks? All these different things that you have to think about as being a restaurant owner where one little misstep could just drastically affect your bottom line. So it's a really eye-opening conversation. And if you've never been to Commune, I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, it's the best vegetarian vegan restaurant we have here in Columbus. We don't have a whole bunch. That um, is kind of a little bit of a growing subgenre within the food scene here. But that restaurant would work anywhere else that you put it. It'd work in Chicago. It'd work in New York. It'd work in LA. It'd work in Francisco, Seattle. Name a city. Name a bigger city. It would work there. It would survive. It would thrive. It's an awesome experience. It's quirky. It's weird. But it's just fun. The food's delicious. A lot of it, you wouldn't even know that it's vegetarian or vegan if you didn't know going into it that that's what the restaurant is. If you just kind of walked in there blindly and got a seat at the little counter there and just ordered some stuff and no one told you what kind of the whole motif and everything that they were going for was, you wouldn't know otherwise. So it's an awesome experience. One of our favorites, one of the best restaurants we have here in Columbus too as well. So definitely go check it out. If you haven't, you can follow Joe on Instagram at Galati Pants. Uh, you can also follow Commune at Commune underscore restaurant on Instagram too as well. Make sure to follow us at Spoon Mob. Twitter and Facebook, Spoon Mob One. SpoonMob.com for the website. Uh, make sure to follow, subscribe to the podcast and everything too as well. But without further delay, here is my conversation with Joe Galati, the owner of Commune here in Columbus, Ohio. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast and doing this. I try and not hit up 
everybody at like our same favorite restaurants right in a row, try and spread it out a little bit. So you're the second kind of pure restaurant owner that we've had on the podcast. Brandon Grissetti up in Vancouver with Pigeon was the first. I mean, we've had chef owners of restaurants and stuff, but from a pure ownership, not actually doing the cooking in the kitchen, you're the second one. So where we start with everybody at the beginning, how did you first get involved with restaurants? I know that wasn't really your kind of path when you were thinking about a career, I don't think. How did all that kind of come together? I mean, really, this is like the complete, a complete random pivot from what my life was prior. So I was in corporate retail for about a decade. That was tons of work, but was also... Uh, it allowed me to do a lot of things like travel. I traveled all over the world. So that was cool. And it just gave me a lot of opportunities in kind of that sense. But it's also grueling, you know? And I think at some point I was like, okay, what am I doing? Am I, am I capping out with what I want to be doing in this world? Am I even feeling satisfied in the ways that that I think I want to be fulfilled? So there's a lot of questions going on in my brain of just like, am I burning out from this job? What's next maybe? And then at this time, a buddy of mine, Brooke, who is uh, the other owner of Commune, you know, we were hanging out quite a bit and we had both been vegetarian for a few years. Brooke is a really good, like, you know, home cook. And so we would just be hanging out more and more. This kind of conversation just kind of popped up of like, what if we did something? Cause I think we would hang out a bunch and he would just have like these dinner parties and stuff at his place. But a lot of it was because the vegetarian scene in Columbus, it was smaller, especially back in 2018, 27. I mean, this is probably 2015 actually that we were having these conversations. We're like, I don't know, man, like, why don't we try to do something? And I was like, okay, let's figure it out. Like, give me a year to kind of plan my exit from corporate retail, save some money aside so we can figure out what this looks like from a business side. But yeah, man, let's do this. And worst case scenario, you know, it doesn't work. I go back, you know, there's always like, what's the plan B? Again, restaurants have a notorious fail rate. That's a very real thing. You know, that was kind of the impetus. I think it was really inspired by, I think a lot of like Brooks home cooking for himself. Cause I think there's also a kind of like this general, maybe stigma and like preconception of what vegetarian food is. There's like, it's rabbit food. It's like, you know, a bunch of salads and you know, it can be, but it can also be like literally everything else that's not meat. And if you just know how to like cook things, if you treat your vegetables, like you treat your meat, you know, there's a lot of things that, that you can do there. And Brooke did a really good job just like articulating kind of like with food, just like what that could look like. And so, so yeah, we're like, so yeah, that was probably, I don't know, maybe in 2014, maybe because in 2015, we got like the LLC. We said, okay, we're going to start this thing up. And that was really going to be about this like almost like this like kind of Vietnamese sandwich shop. Like we love banh mi's. Like that was kind of like the inspiration for this whole thing is just like, how do we find these amazing foods that we love, but really don't come vegetarian or it's very difficult to find being done that way. So how can we make these versions of things that were, you know, really, but we're like relying on the vegetables, not really doing a lot of fake meat stuff, but just like how to get those same similar flavors, textures, whatnot. So it kind of started off as like this like sandwich shop idea. And once like that year went by and I quit my job, we started doing kind of our first few pop-ups over at the commissary. And that was where we kind of met Kate over there. And she helped a ton with just like helping guide us through like what things could be and like the risks and what we saw from like food trucks. What challenges were they having at the time? What is the model? Like we were thinking that we would just open a small little sandwich shop, very Brooklyn-esque, 300 square feet, something super small. So we started working towards that idea. And I think the more that we got into it and the more that we started like kind of digging in and like, what could this be? The more that like a bigger picture kind of they started forming, you know? And so we always thought that there would be an idea of like what commune is now is like, that was the like concept number three, you know, that was like down the road when we actually like know what we're doing. Cause again, Brooke and I both don't have any restaurant background. It's like came from very different worlds, but it was more of this mentality of like, no one's doing it. We feel like we're not the only customers who would enjoy this. 
other cities have this that we've traveled to. Brooke has done a ton of traveling as well. And I was like, why can't we just figure this out? Can't be that hard, which is always the naive point of view. But, and then, so we just had done some pop-ups and then we were doing some brunch pop-ups like over at Stump. And those kind of like moved us closer into what I think this would eventually be where it was less kind of specialty themed and more just like general, like vegetarian food and vegan food, really. And those sold out pretty well and pretty quick. So we were surprised at just like this little pop-up and how that was going. And then it went into like, okay, well, what does this really turn into? And then when you start talking to a bank, you know, and like, how much money do you need to do something? And those numbers get very expensive and very real. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe this needs to be a bit bigger. Maybe this isn't just a sandwich shop with me, Brooke, and one other employee. Maybe it needs to be larger than that. It was trying to make sure that whatever we did from a concept felt like kind of broad enough that we could have the flexibility to kind of like do what we want to do and like showcase what I would consider like kind of like the global inspiration for like what vegetarian and like more base and blend forward, you know, dishes could be. So, and that felt closer to like what commune is now. So it just like grew kind of like exponentially from like small little sandwich shop all the way to like, was maybe it's a food truck. No, it's definitely not a food truck. Maybe it's a small brick and mortar. And then I think the piece that really kind of like set things in motion, finding this space that we're in now with East Public. One of the developers, Bree, we knew, Brooke knew her from like a childhood friend. I kind of like knew her through some coworkers on my previous job and who were like, oh, my friend's developing this space kind of like in German Village. Like you should go talk to her. And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm not looking for a big brick and mortar um, at the time. So anyway, so we, Brooke went and saw the space and he called me and he's like, dude, I just saw the future of what we're doing and it's this space. And so looked at it, this is going to be great. That kind of started off this, okay, maybe it's not these smaller ideas. Maybe it's a bigger idea. Okay. So what does that bigger idea look like? And then it kind of like started filling in the gaps from there. How did you and Brooke first meet? Were you guys childhood lifelong friends? Did you meet in college? I mean, we've known each other for a long time, probably since like 2006. Uh, we have a mutual friend in common. I was working with my friend at Victoria's Secret. Brooke happened to be there. and They hadn't seen each other for years because they kind of grew up together. And so they kind of caught up. That was when I had met Brooke. Brooke was kind of like here and there for the next couple of years. And then he ended up moving because he he moved quite a bit. He was like Cleveland for a while. He, I mean, he was kind of all over. And at some point kind of settled back down into Columbus. And that was when kind of like hanging out more and just like, so it just was kind of like a friend of a friend. But again, I've known for a long time, but really started like getting much closer, probably late 2000s. Like just as, you know, like I was in a band, he would come to the shows and be like, well, what's up, man? Like, good seeing you. So it was just like this thing that just kind of happened. So yeah, we kind of like had built this friendship just for a while. And then like a mutual love for like kind of similar experiences and whatnot. So as you mentioned before too, you went to Columbus College of Art and Design spent like a decade working as like a graphic designer, these different places, just corporate world. What was the kind of thing that pushed you over the edge and made you want to leave all that behind? I mean, I think of it as it's three pillars. Ultimately, one was and I've when I left, I was a creative services director and like we would oversee all the props, displays, any kind of like creative element that was being produced. Like my team over, you know, we'd oversee it, make sure it was produced you know, properly. So there kind of was this thought of like I was tired of, you know, the things that we did for the stores was very experiential. There wasn't really like a quantifiable, did we drive sales more? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's like, you know, maybe the store looked better and they're, you know, we'd make them look beautiful and, you know, but that was, did it actually help drive sales? So there's a piece that I was kind of like just questioning, like, what am I really doing here? Is it moving the needle in a way that feels meaningful to me? Two was, even being a director, I had like several more layers of leadership to go through to make a decision. All right, guys, you're paying me a bunch of money to make these decisions, but I then need to still go it all the way up this flagpole to make sure that these things are done. And just like, it was very cumbersome. And that's just like a corporate environment where you just have like lots and lots of layers. Um, so I was kind of like looking for something with a bit more autonomy 
to where I can make a decision and be like, yeah, I trust this. Let's go with it. And I think the third had to do with kind of like this idea of the amount of like waste. We'd spend nine months, 10 months, you know, working on Christmas decorations that would, you know, millions of dollars, they'd be there for three weeks and then just get tossed. So like there's a piece that I was like, man, this is like super wasteful. Like, is there a way that like I can do something that's less of that kind of impact? You know, like how can I think better about like what that looks like in addition to, you know, more of like an immediate gratification. Like, yeah, someone is here enjoying something and it's like, I can see it and there's less waste to it. So it's like this thing of like, what are they really getting out of, you know, a service that I'm providing? So those are kind of the things that I was like kind of craving for like myself of like, Hey, again, I'm good at my job. It was a fun experience. All these things were great. Lots of, you know, benefits to, to that world. But I was like starting to feel like just kind of jaded and just not fulfilled because of all these different reasons. So kind of, as I was, you know, talking with work about this stuff, it really felt like food might've been like this catalyst, you know, it's this thing that we can kind of control maybe some more like the waste. We can be more thoughtful in how we do things. You know, if we start a business, it's like, we make the decisions. It's very, you know, very small structure. This idea of a small business was very, you know, interesting, especially coming from a gigantic corporation, you know? And I think the other part too, is like, you know, again, there's that immediacy of someone coming and dining in and enjoying food and be like, yeah, this is awesome. We love this. It's, it's much quicker than, you know, what we were used to from over there. So it kind of like food really felt like this, the vehicle for kind of like what I was looking for out of trying to find some more like meaning and value with the time that I'm spending. No, I completely understand. I was, I was curious as to when somebody's in the corporate world and they leave, it's like, what is that final button that got pushed? Catherine Day from Catalina's. I mean, she used to work at Victoria's Secret. I remember she worked in like marketing when I was like starting. Um, so I know it's just like, it's interesting. I mean, I have a lot of friends who have like pivoted from the corporate world now and have started their own business. One, it's like, it's helpful because, you know, you're paid pretty well. If you're smart about it, you can save some money. And then that lets you, you know, again, pivot out and do something. You've got a lot of experience. You learn a lot. You see a lot. You know, you spend a lot of time in markets that aren't Columbus. You're in LA a bunch. You're in New York a bunch. Maybe you're in London a bunch or, you know, Paris, like Europe. I don't know, like you're all over. So you really have a chance to kind of see a bigger perspective and like what feels right what looks good, what is the quality all over the place. So that's like the real benefits, I think, to, to some of those uh, kind of like that, that corporate background. And it gives you just a lot of experience. I mean, I had big budgets I had to deal with. And so now like running the business, it's like, it's, you know, not it's different because now it's my, you know, my ass on the line versus before, but it's like, you know, you're not scared away by dealing with bigger numbers, I guess. So yeah, I don't know. It was just like interesting. It was like this little primer. Like I had enough experience to kind of like say, I guess that they always say like, you know, enough just to be dangerous, you know? And that was kind of like how it was like, okay, I'll figure the rest out. And I know back with when we were starting this, it's like, there's very few things that I feel like I, I know myself and I'm a hard worker. I'm always going to like figure this shit out. That's like my superpower is like always problem solving and figure things out. And I was like, okay, like if this is going to work, like I feel good and I'll be there to the last minute, you know, like I'll be involved. And so that's kind of like what's, I think, also been very fortunate getting through COVID and like this entire shit show that's been the last 18 months and potentially the next six to 10, who knows? You know, you came up with the concept and it seems like from what I can tell you guys kind of reach this pivot point where you could either go pop-up restaurant, which was Eat Rao, or you could do food truck. And you guys went pop-up over food truck. Was there any sort of logistical thoughts or anything to that when you guys made that decision? A few things really come to mind instantly. One is, I was kind of mentioning, we were starting to do our pop-ups at the commissary. What that let us do is kind of like observe and see, you know, a lot of food trucks would come in at the end of the night, break down, clean out, like get rid of their like gray water, like all that stuff. And so we started like talking to people who had food trucks and just kind of saw the like, okay, a food truck, it's yes, it's a mobile kitchen, but what you're dealing with are all the problems of a vehicle. 
and all the problems of a, a kitchen, like all into one. And even at the time, I don't think the laws were even that great for, I'm not even sure if, they, if they've changed regarding food trucks and where you can park and all that jazz, but it was like just challenging of like, try to find a spot and like, yes, you're mobile. You can go to where people are, but that's also kind of stressful. You got to go where people are and like, where is that? Can you find parking? Is that a situation? So, and we've met some people who are, have like very successful food truck businesses. I think of like Damien from like Fetty's. I think we had met him at the commissary forever ago. Awesome guy. But just like, again, like as we talked to everybody, the other part that was challenging is when you're thinking of just what we were trying to do is already kind of like a niche idea of like vegetarian food. So does that make sense in a food truck scenario? And when you think about food trucks, to me at least, a lot of the ones that probably are successful are, you know, by a brewery where people just are drinking and they want fried food, carbs, you know, meat, cheese, like that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for anything particularly maybe like, I don't say healthy, but healthy-ish. And it's more kind of like satiating that like salt, fat urge. And then I think the other part too, is just like, there's a price point. No one's going to spend more than 12 bucks on something at a food truck that limits you creatively. Like what can you offer? You know, what can we actually sell to where we're actually making some money on this? That's not using just like complete shit ingredients. And it's like, is that experience something that I wanted to do? And especially with what we were trying to build, it's like, do I want to be giving someone something in like a gnarly paper plate and be like, here you go. Is that the experience that we want to do? Especially if we're trying to like elevate and make this like really creative kind of vegetarian food. Does that dumb it down to be like, oh, here's this thing on this paper plate. We felt like that wasn't the move for us at the time. And I think it was interesting again, like not to say everyone else who did that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people made money back in the 2016, 2017, 2018 with food trucks. I just was like, okay, maybe this isn't for us. And how do we look at other options? But again, it's all, it's also a business. So it has to make sense financially. Right. So you're like, okay, well, how much is a food truck? Well, do you find a used one that who knows what are the problems with it? You know, that's 35 to $50,000. If you want a nice one, that's relatively newer ish. It's like $80,000 to $120,000. And you're like, well, shit, I'm going to be spending $120,000 on this. I might as well just like have a full restaurant. And so that's where it starts. You kind of hit a, a tipping point where you're just like, well, we'll screw it. We'll just go into this one. Um, so that's what kind of helped, I guess, push us over into like, maybe it's more of a brick and mortar. And then that world became more of like location. Where do we think in the city that makes sense? How many places did you guys look at? I mean, obviously you had that connection for the space, but did you guys look at any other places before settling on the former adult bookstore? We looked at a couple, not many. We looked at a place kind of like down by me over in Italian Village. It was Cray, and then it switched over to, it's like right on the corner, right by the Wonder Bread, like in that Wonder Bread lofts. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name of it right now. I forget the name of the new, of what it is now, but like, yeah, it's like a bar, uh, some barbecue and stuff there. There was a point in that transition where the business was what was kind of vacant. We're like, I don't know, this could be interesting. Like fourth street's kind of like growing. Let's just see what prices are. So we checked that spot out. And I think there was even a time, uh, I'm good friends with Greg Lehman from Watershed. I've known him for a very long time as well. And I think before they had hired Jack Moore to do their food, he was like, Hey, would you guys want to maybe do food for us? And so that was kind of an idea that was kind of tossed around, but I'm like, I just don't know if like what we're doing is going to make sense for you guys. Like you guys are a distillery. I think that there's like, there's a food that makes sense with what you guys are doing. And I don't know if it's us. And so I think, and I think he was also talking to maybe Jack at the same time too, about like what that could look like. But that was something that was interesting as they were kind of building things out. But yeah, we didn't look a ton of places. A lot of things kind of fell in place pretty quickly. And that's where like, it was kind of one of those things where you're like, I don't know, is this a sign that we're on the right path? Should we be doing this? And the way that things kind of fell, it was like, okay, yeah, I think this should just be it. You know, I think like the spot down here, you know, the challenging part, at least with what we were looking for when it comes to a space 
is we didn't want like a new build, you know, we wanted something that like, we didn't want to just have a building destroyed to have like something brand new built. Like we like the character of like an old space, you know, like the fact that this was what it was and it's this weird layout, you know, we're like, that's kind of cool. It's like New York. Like you have a space in New York. No one cares what it is. It can be 20 feet wide and four stories and you'll make it work for whatever it is, you know? And that's the kind of piece that we loved it, liked about this space. It's like, yeah, man, it's kind of weird. It's not really like maybe the ideal layout for a restaurant. Screw it. Like let's make it work. You know, and I think this like the fact that that's an old building, it's got the pros and cons. And the fact that Compton and the developers were like their forte was rehabbing old buildings kind of like all made sense. The cost per square foot like wasn't crazy for a foot, like wasn't crazy. When we ran the numbers, we're like, okay, this seems doable. We're spending short north prices, you know? So it was just like, okay, cool. Like this kind of makes sense. In addition to the fact that location wise, it's like, all right, we're kind of like near German village in Schumacher technically. You know, and then we've got Old Town and like Southern Orchards right to the other side. And it's like, yeah, man, there's some cool stuff going on down here. People say it's like Southside and it's Southside-ish, you know, like it's just less than a mile, I think, from Broad Street. And it's been interesting with like Children's and the expansion that they've been doing for better or worse. So I don't know, just like was like, okay, this could be a cool thing, like more so than we were worried. I think we were looking at places maybe even in Clintonville for a little bit. The idea of like maybe having it in Clintonville, but like I didn't know how much people in Clintonville really would want like that space, like if they'd really show up for it, especially back then. And so, yeah, it kind of came down to like, like the architecture of the building too. It just like felt, felt good. And again, all this, like the, the relationships that we had just kind of like all felt like really in sync. One of the kind of unique points about the building, which I don't know how many people know this, but the kitchen is upstairs and the storage is in the basement, which I guess is prototypical, but the kitchen being upstairs is a bit for sure. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, we also had like a thousand permutations of what this was was going to be. I think originally was still going to be a bit more like fast, casual in a sense. So still kind of like maybe all day cafe, like open kitchen, like downstairs. So kind of where the bar is, and like kind of like that side was going to be the kitchen. Uh, we were going to tear out the second floor and build like a mezzanine, kind of like how North Star in um, uh, Easton is, you know. So there'd be like an upstairs mezzanine that would overlook. And we're like, this is a cool idea. Let's do this. And they're like, yeah, the building's going to fall apart if you do that. You can't get rid of the second floor. It's like, okay. And then through, you know, lots of other architectural issues and everything else, we're like, okay, well, maybe the kitchen's just upstairs. You know, maybe that's even easier to keep the downstairs focused on like the service aspect. So yeah, it's like one of the weird quirks that, you know, people don't really think about until you kind of like tell them like, oh yeah, the kitchen's upstairs. They're like, oh, I was you know, actually wondering where the food was coming from. I just see people walk down the stairs with it. It's cool in that aspect. I feel like there's this little bit of, um, you know, the, the, I, I guess the theater of service, you know, it's like the downstairs and then like everything upstairs is the backstage. You know, and just like everything kind of going on, which is kind of nice to have that division thing that just kind of organically grew from like the rounds and rounds of revisions of like us trying to figure out, you know, this weird space. How does it make sense? Did you guys pull any inspiration from anyone? There's a couple famous vegetarian restaurants, Jeremy Fox, Aaron London. I mean, they're out west and stuff like that. But did you guys kind of look around at what other people who had already been in kind of that lane we're doing and kind of pull from them or were you guys just kind of figuring it out as you go and just doing what you guys wanted to do? In, I, I think big inspirations for us, ABCV in New York was a big one. I think that kind of showed just like, you know, you got Jean-Georges like making killer vegetarian food that at the time was also like slammed. We had been there a few different times and it was like always awesome and always busy. Also that's New York. So that's just like, it is what it is. But like West Coast, Botanica and Silver Lake was one that we really loved. Just like, it's just kind of small enough. It's cozy enough. Like they had great, just like a great aesthetic, great idea of like what they want to do for food. We spent like two weeks. We went to 
Copenhagen and Berlin. And so there's like tons of places out there that just like, I mean, Copenhagen, like they know what the fuck's going on. Like everything's good out there um, from like everything, even the smallest little hole in the wall is like beautifully designed. Uh, so all the food was on point there. And then Berlin was awesome too. Just so there's so much character in Berlin. Like Berlin reminded me of like a cooler New York really. But they had just like, again, all these really awesome kind of, it felt like younger, hipper, like fresher ideas. So it's kind of like we pulled from just, again, all this kind of like worldly places that we've been to, you know, and again, like trying to think of any other places off the top of my head that were like big inspirations. There was a place for a while also like in downtown LA called PYT. Uh, what's the chef's name? Joseph Centrino, I think, or Centrano. Uh, he had a few places down there. It's closed. Uh, I think it closed maybe in 2019. But that was another cool place too. That was like more similar to how we have our menu set up. It's kind of like theirs. We're just kind of like, it's like a, just a block of food kind of price point dictates the size, but nothing ever gets too, too big. And it's just like, Hey, just grab a few things, share at the table. And that was one of the big things that really inspired how we tried to kind of make sure that the menu was architected here. It's like when Brooke and I would go out, went out to eat a ton, you know, together as we're like figuring out what the hell does this all look like and what we want it to be, you know, but we would always joke around that we'd be like, you know, we're the best date, you know, we go out, we're just like, Hey, just, we want these six things, bring them out whenever you want, you know, try everything, share a little bit of all these parts and pieces. But that's what we really wanted to kind of do with commune too, is just like have this kind of sharing kind of vision of people just like communicating and just like getting together over food, which is, I feel like what food is very good at doing is like gathering people and opening people up to talk. And, you know, that's where we get to, you know, commune being the name and all this stuff. And the way we had the restaurant kind of like organized, especially pre-COVID, you know, the communal table, all that stuff is like, yeah, like our seating was super tight. And it's like, well, one, that's, because we're like, hey, man, in New York, this is how it is. Like you go into a space, they pull a, a whole table out for you, you. You get in there and they tuck it back in and you're you're locked in for the service. But it's just like this like it, more intimate setting. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, there's a lot of places in Nashville too. I feel like that we were looking at. What was, I, I can't remember many of the names right now off, off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is like there was a lot of inspiration that came from like all over. And I think the big piece was we just didn't see a whole lot of it in Columbus or even Ohio for that matter. You know, like Pleasantry, Dan over there, like, Good buddy, near and dear to our hearts. I think doing killer stuff down there right now. Please was also a big, big one back then too that we'd always go down to and enjoy. I mean, again, like tasting menu for 65 bucks. I'm like, guys, you aren't getting that anywhere else. And it's killer food. And just, that was awesome. In Cleveland, we had some friends who owned the Plum. Uh, I don't know if you had ever been there, like off Lorraine. They just switched over, I think, to a different concept kind of during COVID maybe. Kind of seeing like younger restaurant owners involved trying to do like what they feel like is what they think food can be and what that service can be versus something a bit more corporate. Like we see a lot, you know, here in Columbus where it feels a bit more like, Hey, I saw this idea in New York and I just literally ripped it off and made it worse than the original. But it's so, yeah, there's lots of inspiration that came from, you know, all over. First executive chef you guys had Ben Cannavel. He also helped with the pop-up eat row when you guys were kind of doing that too. Right. How did you guys first connect with him? Another thing where we, at the point when we realized this was going to be bigger. So I think there was this, you know, again, like this pivot of, is it a small sandwich shop that Brooke, myself, and one other person are working? And that's just it. Like we all, that that was the idea. And so once it got bigger, we're like, okay, we don't have the experience to do this probably effectively. Sure. Could we go in and do some things? Maybe, but like, there are people who are much better at this than we are. And I'd rather just like support those people, like pay someone to as best as we can to be an expert than me just like fumble through and have a shitty experience. We were kind of like talking to a few people just kind of casually like, hey, do you know anyone who's maybe like a sous chef looking for the next step and maybe their career? One of coworker of mine from over at Victoria's Secret was also friends at Brooke and they were kind of chatting and he was like, actually, you know, I've got a, an old friend who might be a good fit. 
And that was Ben. And so like our friend, his older brother is like best friends with Ben. And so it just like happened to work out. And so we met Ben, you know, had like a, went to, I remember we went to rock mill to meet him and we ended up talking for like, you know, four hours, <laughs> just like talking about food, like his vision, what he likes, everything else. And we're like, man, this was a, it's like one of those like great first dates. You're like, oh man, this is awesome. Then it was like, cool, man, like cook some food. Like, let's see what's going on. And went over to his place and he made like a seven course little tasting menu of like all these little bits that he was thinking and like nailed it. Just Ben had this, I mean, Ben, you know, previously uh, was at Worthington Inn. He had worked under Tom over there for a long time. Then he, when I think when Tom left, he took over for a little bit. Uh, He was at Salt and Pine when that was a thing. And like, you know, really had worked a ton of places and had a lot of great experience. Really took what we thought commune was going to be. And then it's like kicked it up to here. And for sure, like what we are now, like is a lot of it is built on the foundation that Ben kind of brought. Uh, He had like a passion for like gardening and just like that vegetable life cycle. I mean, like he cared about the food scene, you know, he had a lot of inspiration from, uh, oh, oh, uh, a dirt candy also in New York was another place that we had inspiration from. Awesome. Awesome spot. Um, doing super creative, you know, a vegetarian test, like, like tasting menu, like again, in New York, uh, always busy when, like when we had went, there's just like killer food. So yeah. So just, again, was this thing where we felt like all these kind of puzzle pieces started lining up all around the right times. And I know people always say like how challenging things can be. And it's like, it was hard. And like, we put a lot of work in, but it also a lot of things kind of like fell into place when we were kind of getting this whole thing kind of like launched. I mean, there was obviously issues that ended up happening. So like a good example of something that, that didn't work out was, you know, we kind of built a budget for this build out. We're like, okay, this is what it's going to cost, blah, blah, blah. Went to the bank, got a pre-approved for a loan. Pretty much all we had to do was sign. And we got some other quotes back and that number doubled. And we're like, oh fuck. And when it doubles, like it's a big number. And you're like, oh, I think we can handle this. And when that number doubles, you're like, all right, what do we do? Because it's like, we don't really have investors. We had a little bit of friends and family who could like chip in 10 grand here and there, but that's like in a scheme of a restaurant, that's not really a ton, you know? And I th- what we were trying to do also was just like challenging. So like, that was a big hurdle. And so I was like, and so I remember Brooke and I like met at North Star in the short North. And I was like, dude, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do, man. This might be it. I'm like, are we over before it even started? What, what are we going to do here? And so it was just like, well, like, let me go back and talk to the bank. You know, maybe they'll figure it out. And so the bank was they're like, yeah, man, like we'll redo the loan and get you more. You just need to put up more money, which is also hard to do. But yeah. So, I mean, that's like for a lot of things that went well, it's like, you know, there's always those crazy setbacks and Again, what I think people, even ourselves, like coming in is like naively, it's like, dude, restaurants are expensive, especially at a point when you're, I don't know, I guess like competing with like other really good restaurants in the city. Like there's a cost associated and it's tough to know. And then like, even again, like what's at the end of the day, you know, like, is there anything left over even like, or are you just like losing money? People always say, oh, it takes five years for a business to break even. I'm like, you know that you're losing money all that time. So it's got to come from somewhere. It's not just like an accounting trick. It's like, no, man, you're like, you're actually losing money. I'm digressing from that original piece, but, but yeah, so Ben, so ultimately, yeah. So he was just kind of met him through a friend and it just like, was this really awesome, just kind of, you know, connection we had. And as I mentioned to you, kind of like this, we had planned to open, I think like fall of 2017. And there was just like effectively like a year of delays. One, because we had to figure out this new loan process that changed everything. The developers had a ton of delays on their side. So we were delayed almost a year from when we actually had opened, you know, uh, late 2018. So if we had talked to Ben, I don't know, 2016, maybe. So he was on board for like two and a half years. We're like, all right, man, we're going to have you for this thing. We promise it's coming. Just like, and he was picking up jobs. I mean, he was working at Sycamore. I think he worked over at Rock Mill for a while too, just like picking up 
jobs and doing some other things on the side. But I was just like, cool, man, just like keep, you know, just we'll get there. And that was where like, we would try to find do other pop-ups. Like, you know, we did another dinner pop-up at Stump for a, uh, we had a friend of a friend who was like uh, involved with Faden and like they had a book release and we supported that a little bit. Um, so he helped with doing that one. We did like a, was it like Independence Day Fest or something where like we did a brunch that Ben had kind of like made food for. So it was like trying to get him like more and more involved while we kind of like bided our time, you know, all this thing built out because delays are inevitable in this world, especially when you're trying to like get things moving. But it all kind of pays off. I mean, you guys are open and then I think it's like 2018, Columbus Underground basically names you guys, you know, best new restaurant in the city. When that happened, that was kind of like the first accolade that you guys kind of got. People get involved for different reasons. A lot of people, accolades are nice, but they're not the main driving force. But when you have something like that happens, did that help validate like a lot of the decisions that you and Brooks made up to that point? Where you're like, okay, we're not insane. Other people have started recognizing what we kind of created. We're clearly on the right path. Let's keep kind of pushing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to tell you that it doesn't feel good when you're busy. That feels good. That people want to come to you. Like everyone has a choice, right? They can go anywhere else in the city. But if they're coming to you, like that means something. So like that, that feels good from like a, like, yeah, like we are on the right path. We aren't crazy. You know, like, again, the, the idea of like, hey, we're a vegetarian restaurant that's a bit more upscale than anything else that exists in the city that probably exists in Ohio, maybe even exists in the Midwest. Is that going to work? Is there enough people that want to come here and do this? You know, and I think our intent with Commune was like, we're like, okay, our goal is to be the best vegetarian place in the city. That's like for sure our goal. Our secondary goal is just, can we be like one of the best restaurants in the city, you know? And so it felt like we, I don't know. Yeah. And there was like a validation of like, yeah, like the hard work that we put in, like one, we're not crazy, you know? And two, like gave me a bit more faith in Columbus, really. If anything, like in like people's, like what they wanted to experience and that they wanted something different and something new and something that is a little weird. I mean, we lean into the weirdness. The business is commune. That's a weird, for a restaurant. Like everything about this place is like strange. The bathrooms are strange. Sometimes the food is strange. I don't know what this ingredient is. It's, you know, it can get kind of, you know, it's all those parts. You know, a lot of people are like terrified of coming down to Parsons. That's strange to some people, you know? So it's just like all this stuff is like, we lean into it. Cause I'm like, it's like, this is the part of the charm and character of like what we're doing. So the fact that we kind of like got like, you know, I think it's best new and stuff like that was like, it was great. Cause I mean, it just, you know, again, especially for how quick it was. I mean, we, like, we opened at the end of the year. So it was like November, you know? And so like being open for two months and I mean, it's pretty crazy. I think we had a, I talked to a lot of other business owners too, just about like how, like every, I'll say every, a lot of restaurants get that initial push. Like Columbus is great at supporting new restaurants. Like they're like, oh, a new restaurant open? Cool. Let's go and support it. That's always great. Now it's like, how long do people keep doing that is always the hard part. Depending on the business, that could be a month, could be six months. Um, three months, who knows? Um, and we were super fortunate that we had like a super long tail. I mean, I feel like things didn't like normalize to like, I don't know, 10 months out, like well into 2019, I mean, like fall of 2019, I think it started like being more normal. So like that felt good as like, as far as like what we were able to provide and just like, again, like, I think there's a piece of what we're doing that, you know, one of the goals with commune and again, like with the food and stuff was we wanted to make sure that people would be like, Hey, we're eating something your first thought isn't like, oh, this is vegetarian. You know, it's just like, this is just good food. And that was always the goal. And we kind of knew that like, sure, there, there, there's a, a vegan community and a vegetarian community in Columbus, but that's not sustainable for a business. You know, you need to be able to like reach a broader group. So I'm like, well, how do we get that? How do we get someone who's like partners vegetarian, but they want to bring like their spouse or their, you know, their, their partner who isn't to a place and, and that that person is, is going to leave satisfied in a way that like, damn, like I didn't even think that 
this could be that good or whatever. And so we had a lot of that and we still do. And I think being a vegetarian spot and kind of like being this relatively unlabeled random building down here, it's like people had a hard time finding it. I mean, again, everything's weird about this space. It feel like it kind of allows us to kind of like, kind of punch a little bit like above our weight. Like people don't expect a whole lot. And then we kind of like say like, oh, this is what it is. And then it's they're like, oh, damn, like I didn't even think that this was what the food was going to be or the, you know, the service or the programs or the space is beautiful or all these different things. Like it's all this. I just don't think people were expecting it. And so it's like we knew the level that we wanted to hit. And it was just like trying to keep that focus. And it was less of like, especially when once like once we opened, it was less about what everyone else is doing and just like, what are we doing? And is how do we continue just refining and getting better at our processes? One, because there's no time you know, even look at whatever, what any other business is really doing at, at that point. But it was just like, okay, the train's off the tracks. Just hold on. Eventually, Ben Cannavale moves on to other things. I think he went to the Crest and I don't even know where he's at now. I think he's out of the game these days. I think he's doing some other stuff on the side. I actually got some drinks with him earlier this year, maybe spring. It's good to see him. I haven't seen him for like a while. I saw him at the Crest when he was there just to catch up, but we'll always support him in whatever he ends up getting into. He's with you guys for like three years from infancy and, and just moves on to other things. Jacob basically becomes, you know, your next executive chef. Did you see any differences between those two and like their cooking styles at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, every chef is going to bring something different to the table. And again, this is me looking at it from like a novice point of view. You know, I never worked with chefs before. So it's like how Ben, I mean, Ben's closer to my age, you know, like I'm 38. So he's like maybe a year older than me, maybe. So it was kind of this thing where, and then Jacob's eight years younger than I am. So it's like this different span of experience, you know, and just like, so there's like difference of like how someone approaches something and like the world that they grew up in from like culinary things. And I think everyone has maybe some similar inspirations. And I think that's just like what we kind of pull from, or I guess like the people that we find ultimately. I think again, like you can see, I'm trying to think of like the way to put, like, I think at the end of the day, I'm like, Ben is just a, a very experienced, you know, chef. And I think that like he had again, like built a menu and built several menus for us ultimately, you know, be, between lunch and I mean, we, we were going to do a brunch in the beginning, but our friends and family night that, that we had done was so insane that we couldn't turn back over to do the brunch. So we're like, okay, we're just gonna kill brunch. We're not gonna do it anymore. Like just focus on dinner. It's like, this was crazy. I can't believe we just did this crazy ass service and it completely destroyed everyone. Great. I mean, it was just like, it was just insane, but we had all these menus built and it's just like what that idea was. And I think what Jacob kind of brought to the table was a bit more of a artful kind of play to things. I think Ben's hand is a bit more, I don't want to say flavor focused, but maybe ingredient. Like he kind of has that background, that really grounded growing it yourself kind of thing where Jacob had the more plating kind of artful. Yeah. And then that's kind of like where I feel like the difference kind of was between them. And like, as we saw like a shift between kind of like the opening menu and then Jacob's kind of like menu as well. You know, we learned a lot too in that transition. I mean, I thought, I think one of the things that we learned, and again, as I was kind of mentioning, like we, didn't really look at any other businesses once we had opened. We're like, just focus on us. We're going to do what we think is right and just like keep going down that path. And, you know, I think even when we were like, okay, cool, we're going to switch the menu up. Everything goes, nothing stays. Columbus was not happy about that decision. You know, and we definitely got a hit and we definitely took, took like some hits for it. So it's like kind of like, okay, well, especially now, you know, during COVID and like coming out of that, it's like, okay, well, what now that we've got some more experience behind us, like, what does that really look like? You know, from things that we know, like Columbus loves, it's like, we don't need to completely just wreck and rebuild all the time just because that's, it's not helpful. So yeah. So there's this piece of just like the, the two different styles, which both have their own, like, just like flair. And I guess like element that they just brought the commune and help like, again, shape like the bigger picture of like what we're doing and what it can be. Who's running the kitchen now? Uh, right now it is a team effort. 
So it's like, we've got a pretty flat structure right now. You had talked to Jacob, I think, what, in February? Yeah, somewhere around there. And he was getting ready to move to New York. Yeah, so like he he had moved to New York. So we kind of wrapped up at the end of the year and he got a job at Contra. And now he's the sous chef over at Contra. So he's doing, you know, to me, like that's a perfect spot for Jacob. That's exactly like what he would want. Like he would always be like, hey man, I wish Commune was smaller. I wish it was like this thing that we can just do. Like, here's the restaurant that I wish that, that this place could be. I was like, I appreciate that. That also still is going to cost a lot of money. It's got to come from somewhere. You know, if you want to do 60 covers a night, that you need to be making a lot of money off that. But I think it's an awesome move for him. And just like exactly what, you know, especially, I guess the piece to me is like Columbus, there's only so many places that you can really work at in Columbus until you're kind of like tapped out from like experience. And I feel like at some point you outgrow Columbus. And I feel like Jacob definitely kind of got to that point where he's like, what's the next move for him? And the New York thing kind of all worked out. So right now it's like the, just some of the team that we had kind of prior. So it's like our, one of our sous chefs um, who was there before, was kind of like leading a lot of stuff in the beginning of like this year and kind of brought on a few other people. So it's been kind of just like a flat kind of structure where it's just like the team's more kind of collaborating on what things are. I mean, Brooke and I are also more involved than we were before as well. You know, just like trying to make sure that like new dishes, like what those look like, how do we kind of like figure things out? Because the world right now is very different than a pre-pandemic kind of industry. And so there's so many factors that go into play now. And it's just like, it's just, it's so much harder. When the pandemic hit, you guys did carry out for a little bit, kind of worked through that model. Obviously, that's not sustainable. I think you guys kind of cleared out the wine beverage section too as well. Just when all that kind of happened, I remember there was one Instagram post kind of towards the end. And there was all these different reports out there too as well. Just national media was basically, you know, like half the restaurants are going to close, you know, never come back, all this stuff. And so you start doing the math in your head and like, I love these 10 restaurants five of them are going to go away, apparently. Like, how close was it for you guys not coming back? Because it seemed pretty close. Yeah, I mean, 100% say that if it wasn't for like, we got both rounds of PPP, which helped us survive. The first round specifically, because again, like a small restaurant, dude, I'm not Cameron Mitchell. Like, I don't have investors. I'm not, I'm also not a restaurant that's attached to a very lucrative alcohol producing, you know, like I'm not service bar. I'm not watershed. I'm not Wolf's like... I don't have this other thing. It's like, we rely on just our food and like the, and the experience and stuff. So, and again, restaurants, I don't want to say restaurants, our type of restaurant is not a, like, it's not a lucrative thing where like I'm Scrooge McDuck and I've got, you know, a bunch of cash, like sitting somewhere. It's like, no man, like everything's expensive. It's, it's to like run this thing and to run it efficiently is like, it's challenging. And especially for people who are like new to the world and, you know, everyone we've hired, like they've got experience, but they're also stretching to like the next level of their growth. So it's like, everyone's, you know, and that was a great from a collaborative sense of like everyone chipping in to make this thing really sing. But it was also this part is like, we just don't know what, what we don't know. And it's again, all very expensive and there's nothing really left over. And again, you've, uh, you're a new business and you're losing money all the time anyway. So it was a piece from like, yeah, man, most of our lines of credit at the point were not all completely tapped out, but almost, you know, we had a little bit of cash in the bank, but there's all these things that kind of hit you like several weeks after the shutdown, you know, oh, I got to pay sales tax. From all this stuff. Okay. That money's going away. Oh yeah. We got payroll that is a few weeks out that goes away. Oh, I've got all my vendors that are on different terms. All that money comes out after. So just like, even after the shutdown, it's like, okay, well now you're just like bleeding money. And especially in the beginning when it was like, we don't know what this is. Well, I still have rent to pay. I've got insurance to pay. I've got, you know, a loan that needs to be serviced, like all this debt, you know, the, the debt is significant. I mean, it's like, these aren't small numbers, you know, and just like, it was, awful. I mean, like one of the worst days of my life, honestly, that I, that I can look back on was like that Sunday 
prior to like when DeWine announced the shutdown of restaurants, I had to like draft an email at the end of the night being like, all right, everyone is laid off except for Jacob, my front of house manager, like the, the, the sous chefs, two other people, you know, it's like, sorry, everyone, there's no, there's nothing left. I'm sorry about, you know, it's like, I don't know what, what's going to happen. We're going to do carry out for two days to burn through some inventory. And once that's done, uh, everyone else is going to be laid off, you know? And just like, it was fucking devastating. I mean, I was like, I remember just like, like, just like crying. My wife's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, man. Like a part of me just like died. It was fucking sucked. You know, and especially just like, cause it, it was the uncertainty at the end of the day. Like I'm a, I don't know, like a, a pragmatist, like a realist that leans more into like pessimism. And I'm just like, this is not like a, an eight week thing. Like they're saying it's going to be, this is like a year and a half. Like we're not even going to be able to like come out of this thing at least until next summer. I don't know what this even looks like for the industry. Like, I don't know if these jobs are ever coming back or at least in a way that people can pay their bills anytime soon. So it just was like this, this like crushing realization of like, damn, like <laughs> this might be it. And then like what that looks like for us, it's like, you know, again, okay, well, you know, my house is on the line for the loan, all of me and my wife's like retirement, like everything we've got, like anything that's not bolted down, you know, is like collateral for this restaurant, you know, and just like, okay, so what does restarting look like? What is rebuilding everything? Okay, we, we sell our house. We'll do this. What does filing for bankruptcy look like? All these different little bits and pieces, you know, that are very real when a business fails was terrible. And then even when the first round of PPP came out, the rules were so like fucking ambiguous and weren't really geared towards restaurants, you know, and there's a lot of other businesses that I know I was talking to. They're like, yeah, we're paying all of our employees to stay home. And I was just like, no, man, like just got my guys go on unemployment. It's fine. We'll I'll figure it out later. If my unemployment rate goes up later, it is what it is. But it's also like, this is a once in a lifetime event. Maybe they'll just like be fine with it. I don't know. It's like, it's just like trying to play the gamble. So when we got the first round, I didn't even touch it for like months. I don't know if I can even get this forgiven. And there's no point in me going into more debt. Yeah. Is it a poison pill that you just don't know about? Yeah. And that's the part that was like also really frustrating. So, and so that's like getting into early summer. And then finally they came out with some of the updated rules, I think in June and right around this time too, like I was talking to Jacob and Jacob was having a hard time getting on unemployment. And so he was just kind of like floating. And I was like, dude, I'm like, I'll bring you back on payroll, but maybe we figure out something that we can do and sell super small. That just at least covers you, like covers your payroll. Like, can we make, you know, X amount of thousand dollars a week to pay for you, pay for the few little odds, you know, pay for food costs. And that's, you know, like whatever it is, like what's something small. And so we did that and started thinking about what that could be, whether it's carry out, whether it's something else. And then that was when like all the BLM stuff started happening. And it was just like this entire, like, okay, there's bigger things right now than even like this restaurant. And like, what do we do to support those? And then that's where it was like, okay, well, how do we try to use our, what we're doing for positive change and stuff. So that was like when we started all the dinner kits and doing kind of like all those, those like several weeks of carry out. Yeah. You guys raised like a good amount of money for a bunch of different organizations. Yeah. I mean, we raised like just over 15,000 that we kind of like gave to like three different groups around town. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, terrible because the situation of like what's going on and you know, fucking world. Like the world is literally on fire and burning, like nothing feels good. So, but it was just like, okay, well that was all right. And even during that time is like, I mean, the, the first one we did was like a five course dinner for two. And it was effectively just like Jacob making everything and me helping with a bunch. Cause I think the issue that I was having, especially at the time was like carry out to me works when it's pizza, you know, pizza's good when it's cold, when it's warm, it doesn't matter. Carry out pizza is fine. Chinese food is good for carry out, you know, but like a restaurant, like a restaurant, like us, a restaurant, like salad stone. Yeah. I mean, like anything, like, I mean, a lot of stuff like fried foods, like lots of little bits, like things that like, and this is the issue, like, I mean, commune historically never did carry out for dinner. Like we were just like adamantly like, no, if you want carry out, come to the restaurant, 
sit down, get a table, order your food. We'll bring it to you on a plate and then we'll box it. And then you can get it to go. I'm never going to actually just like box it. Like it's just like, it's not, it's not the experience that, that, that we want to give. Changes the mentality of the diner to almost like their expectations too. The food is just so much better when you're actually eating it in a restaurant. It's on the plate because you get the full experience where, you know, some restaurants when they do the to-go food, it's just, you, know, you wind up in kind of the, the cardboard box and stuff. And it's like, it might still taste the same, but it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like hard. I mean, a lot of stuff is meant to be consumed like immediately. So when it's, who knows how long it is until you show up to pick it up or we had issues with like, we're doing delivery for a hot minute, but it was like a shit show because like, I don't know when the DoorDash dude's going to show up and pick this thing up and it could be downstairs for 15 minutes waiting for him. He gets it. And then it's another 15 minutes of that person. So this person's going to get a subpar experience and be pissed at us. And I'm like, that's just not, you can't control it. And I think maybe that's more of what it comes down to is like this lack of control to what the end person's going to be getting. And it's like, I want them to have a good experience. Like, I don't want them to have like a, you know, cold food or something that's like melted or I mean, whatever the case is. So that first, you know, dinner kit thing was like, we were just like, well, what if we just like meased everything out? There was like light reheating at home. Like maybe that's a better experience. Like you're going to get a better dinner for sure. If it's like the cold things are cold, this is here, just garnish where this is and just really have it detailed out. And then we kind of saw too that like at the time, like Alinea was doing that in Chicago. And like, that's how like they were kind of like keeping things moving. And I was like, oh, cool. Like at least where I'm going, like where, where, where like my brain is thinking, Alinea is thinking the same thing. So, okay, cool. Like if they're thinking that, that this is working, then maybe run like the right kind of path. So, so we started kind of slowly bringing people back to help with the kitchen kind of during those like carry out phases. And then it just came like the constant pivot of just like, you know, what works, what doesn't taking time off. And it's just like all very, you've got the shared trauma of what COVID did to like everybody, you know, that is like mentally draining, physically draining. You're just like, oh, what is life on top of that? You then have like, okay, well, how are we navigating this? It just was, it just was a lot. Yeah. So we kind of like end of the year, just like trying to do like more traditional kind of carry out for a while in like November, we had like a staff member, his roommate, went to school or so there was like some thing where like someone that this person was around had tested positive for COVID. And so we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll all just stop the restaurant and get tested because we don't know how this is going to be you know, transmitted. So, you know, it takes, and especially at the time, this is like November where it took, you know, a week to try to like get in line to get a COVID test and then hear back. So we had closed for a couple of weeks, just wait until everyone got tested and came back negative. And then it was just like, well, what the fuck are we doing, man? Like this isn't sustainable. And it just was tough. And so we kind of just wrapped up the year saying, hey, we're going to just do like two more dinner kits for, you know, Christmas and New Year's and we'll figure out from there. And that was where Jacob and I were talking, you know, he's just like, dude, he's like, this has been, my brain is fried. I'm emotionally drained. This is a lot. And I might be wrapping up and moving to New York. So it just was this whole thing. When your accountant tells you that there's a 90% chance of you going bankrupt, does that even register at that point? You're through all these emotions, all these numbers, like eventually at some point, the number just gets to be, whether it's the number you owe, the number you make, it's just another digit. Does that even like, eh, 90, 95, 85, whatever. Yeah. And I was having a, I think it was with Dan, I was talking to about that. Like the conversation that I had with my CPA was just like, what do you think the chance, this is pre the second round of PPP. So this was like maybe January of this year where he's like, what are the chances you think of going bankrupt? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe 20%. He's like, I think it's like 80 or 90, you know? And I was like, Ugh, you know, like, like a big gut check. And, you know, again, this is a person who has multiple restaurants that, that he's worked with, like knows his shit. So it's like, you know, hearing that was, I think for me, both a, like a kick, <laughs> you know, and, and like to my gut, it's like, oh God, like the reality. And like, well, what does this really look like? Cause you know, when you open a business, you don't plan to fail. We plan to succeed. So like, we know that failure is an option, but it's like, that's like the very last thing. So you don't really think about it. And that was a very real gut check to be like, shit, man, 
we need to actually think about what this looks like. And then it was, okay, meeting with bankruptcy lawyers. What does this look like if this was to happen? What are the issues we need to think about? You know, and again, this isn't just like, like me personally, it's like my wife is attached to all these things too. Like, am I fucking up her life and like her future, like with all these things? Like, so it just was like this very real, like, what is this going to be? And so I kind of, I have like a small little, like I say board of advisors, you know, like some other restaurant owners, a few like friends of mine who good in finance, all this stuff. And so we met like right after the first of the year and we're like, okay, what's a plan to get through this? And like, what does that look like? And so we all just kind of met and kind of like orchestrated, like, okay, here's what the next six months are going to look like that we can kind of foresee. We'll kind of like pivot from there, but like, what does, what do we need to do to generate just enough money to keep this place open? And then that was kind of like how we kind of came back, at least with this year with carry out. So, you know, it was a lot of stuff that we felt was things that people, you know, again, it's like during COVID, I feel like everyone was like reaching for like, what's the comfort food, man? Like, what's the stuff that like makes you feel good inside? And to a lot of people and to us too, is like a lot of that, like opening menu stuff that we hadn't seen for a long time. You know, some of like Ben's things that every, you know, I mean, people were always clamoring for like that original crispy rice to come back. And we're like, nope, it's gone. It's gone for good. You know, fuck you guys. And we're like, I don't know, man, like it's, you know, so we kind of like, you know, whipped out the old recipe books, made some stuff. We're like, dude, all these dishes still slap. Like they're all still great. And, you know, interestingly enough, a lot of them like traveled pretty well too. Like we were testing. It's like, I don't know, man, a lot of this stuff actually travels pretty good. Um, so maybe we just kind of like lean there and then kind of like start that off and, you know, make a few new things kind of round some stuff out, but just keep it small, something that we can execute with just a couple guys in the kitchen. Me just being downstairs, you know, being the, the, the front of house effectively, just like helping carry out orders, facilitate that, you know, doing some retail wine on the side, you know, and that was kind of the goal. I mean, that didn't really even make the numbers we needed to make, but it was like, it was helping somewhat. And then once we kind of got to a spot where like we got the second round, at least giving us some runway, because once you kind of knew like how the first round felt of like, okay, here's how we can use this to the most benefit versus payroll, non-payroll, all these different costs. And they really expanded things to be more helpful to restaurants, which was great. So that gave us a little bit more cushion. I'm like, okay, well, we know we've got 24 weeks. Here's what that looks like. How do we make this money work as hard as we can for us, knowing that we've got some cushion to fuck up and we'll be okay, but it's going to run out. And then what does the future look like? So yeah. And then once vaccines were readily enough available, it's like, yeah, man, like teams feels like they're all like, you know, backed up, ready to go. Like everyone feels comfortable, you know, working and stuff. And so we kind of like reassembled again, like a pretty small team. You know, I always tell people like, we've got just enough people to keep the wheels on. And it's just like, yeah, trying to do the best we can right now with kind of like in this weird world of not post COVID. It's like, but this weird intermediate transition period, just, you know, again, like do the best that we can and trying to forecast, you know, read the tea leaves for what does fall look like. If things are, people are worried now, it's like, dude, it's the fucking summer, 10 times worse in the fall. Like it's not going to be like, everyone's like, Oh, like look at Europe. Like it's like peaking and then it drops off. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like people thought this was going to be eight weeks a year ago, you know? And so I just like, I, I, I just have no faith in how this is going to go. But what I do feel very strongly about is that there's not going to be any more like government support. They're not going to expand unemployment benefits. So all that stuff is gone. So to me, every business is like, you need to figure it out. Yeah. You're on your own. And so like, again, like we saw a lot of restaurant closures around Columbus with that first kind of round with like the kind of immediate following the shutdown and like maybe the six months after that. And I think the people who kind of made it through and were able to kind of pivot and make it work without accruing a shit ton of debt. And all I know is like, I know our finances. I don't know any other businesses. So it's hard to say like the decisions that any other business makes if it works for them or the flexibility that they have in regards to, I don't want to say like the health and safety of their staff, especially during some points last year when the people were like, some places uh, were just like going full blast. February this year, you know, go to the short North and it was packed. 
You know, I'm like, am I missing something? Like, what are we doing? Like, what's going on here? Like the short North literally is packed and there's like the most basic bullshit, like divider. It's like, this is like a set dressing. It doesn't really matter. And it's slammed. So I'm just like, do, do people even care what's going on? Like, I'm trying to do the best I can to support like my staff being safe, like everything else. And just, am I going to lose the business though? While these other businesses are going to be thriving because they're just like, I, I don't want to say they're not giving a shit. I don't know. And that's the, and the other real thing. So we're seeing that. And now I'm like getting this point where I think there's this idea that like we were out of the woods and that summer was going to, the beginning of summer was like, oh, thank God we're moving on to like, this feels like we're almost over it. And now I'm like, I don't know, man, I think we're going to be ready for like a second wave of like people who just got through. And now maybe those like last few lifelines aren't there anymore. And it's harder still just even hearing last week that like Village Taco, you know, down the street, Johnny, who um, does that like good buddy. And like kind of hearing that like broke my heart. I'm like, fuck man, like he had opened just before the pandemic, like just shit luck down here, you know? And I know he worked his ass off, you know? And it just, it's, it's tough. And just like hearing that someone's going to like have to shut, like shut her up shop is just like, it just sucks, man. Like I think people look at it as like, oh, it's a small business. But I'm like, guys, like the small businesses around Columbus are what provide like the color and texture of what makes Columbus great. These bigger establishments, sure, they get more volume. I'm not gonna name any names here, but it's just like, I don't know, man, like, are they really pushing Columbus forward? Are they providing the like different experiences? Or is it just like the same thing just repeated a thousand times in a short north or in Easton or in Dublin or any place right now that seems like it's COVID proof that like businesses are thriving there. And it's like, everyone else is just like, I don't know how this makes any sense. So I'm kind of worried about that too. Just like how those things go. I mean, like Perry and like Domama down here, like, I mean, she had her spot down in the village over here. And it's just like seeing that kind of like switch over. I'm like, damn, man, it's just like, it's like nothing's one, none of the stuff is guaranteed, you know? And I think that's the part people need to be realistic about, but it's just like, you can't account. It's, it's, it's hard to account for like a pandemic and how it's going to affect you. Cash just isn't there, you know? And if people aren't showing up to patron it in the volume you need, it's, it just doesn't make sense. And it's hard to like, you know, staff appropriately and make sure everyone's being paid well. If there's not, there's only so much money coming in. It's like, you can't just, and I know, it's, it's a very simple math problem. And that's the piece that people, I don't think kind of like think about, you know, they think small business, they may think, you know, it's like, guys, I'm not Jeff Bezos. Like, <laughs> like we're small business. Like we actively are a small business and like happy to be transparent with what we're doing here. But that to me is this kind of stressful now is like, what does this tail half of 2021 look like? And then how far into 2022 does it go? What is the end game? I feel pretty good that we'll be able to get through this year you know, with some like cash reserves that we have and just like with the way business has been, you know, like we've been okay when things need to go to like, when we lose the patio, because the weather's getting too cold. Does that make sense? You know, how's it inside? I'm not going to feel comfortable packing the inside like we used to. I mean, we still have less seats inside than we had pre-pandemic for sure. You know, and I don't really see that changing that much. So it's just like, I just don't know. You know, to me, it's like, okay, I, I just try to keep tabs with all my friends in the industry too. It's like, Hey, how are you guys feeling? What's going on with you guys? If you take a moment, step back, is it weird to look up and down the block that you guys are on and look and see, you know, you guys are kind of the anchor tenant of all that redevelopment. Obviously, Nationwide Children's Hospital, all that stuff was in the works years probably before with how much money goes into that and timelines and everything. But you guys are kind of the first tenant really on that strip of Parsons. And then it's like next door is Parsons North Brewing. And then you got some coffee shops and and around the corner, there's some stuff now too. And it's all kind of been redeveloped. Is it just kind of weird to look and be like, this has changed like a lot and we're still here? Maybe, I guess like, I don't feel like it's changed that much though. I guess maybe like when I look around my blink test 
is like, okay, this was, and this is maybe the conversation I was even having with some staff and stuff is like, guys, like this was an old porn shop that like nationwide bought to close it down so that like, it wouldn't be this like blight on this area. The, the developers just were kind of like buying up these spaces. This was the last building that they had purchased. But like, you know, Parsons North was like this like old abandoned tire place, the Compton office and everything else back there was like, I think it was like an old abandoned church or something like that. Like it had like all these weird things that were like, were these like buildings that were just vacant that were people were squatting in burning, you know, timber, you know, storing stolen bikes in like, there's always weird things happening in this space. And so it's like this conversation of like what we were trying to do. And it's like, Hey, we're trying to like, just kind of create something, keep some of the character of these buildings and not just like knock everything down to build something brand new, but stuff that also like provides some value to like the neighborhood. You know, and I think that's the piece with commune is like, you know, we wanted this to be a neighborhood spot. Like we want people to feel fine to come here. And that goes back to like a service style. Like we don't want it to be too stuffy here. You know, we want it to feel like you can just pop in here on a Wednesday night and just like have a pretty casual dinner. That got a little bit tougher, I think, towards like, you know, probably like late 2019, you know, like where like, I think like price points started going up a bit more, like things started being a bit more like, I don't know, there was a an accessibility piece that like we knew we always wanted here that was starting to kind of like, we were starting to lose that a little bit. And we, and we were going to be changing it for spring. Like we had all these plans with Jacob, but like, architecting a new menu, what this is going to look like for spring, keep things accessible. And then, you know, COVID kind of like took everything out, but it's this piece. Like when I look, so the big thing is like, I look to, I mean, Sycamore, right. I mean, it was open when we were open, then closed. And now they're, now they just reopened, right. With, uh, you know, new owners, I think you've got, you know, $2 radio down the street, you know, who had opened up pretty close to when we had community grounds coffee shop, I think was delayed forever. And then, you know, opened up at some point and you've got some development happening. I don't think it's happening at the rate that everyone was thinking. It definitely Parsons is not the new fourth street, you know, where it's just like blowing up and that's probably for the better. Maybe, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's hard to, again, I think everything is going back to real estate, but you've got children's dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into this area, buying up stuff again, for better or worse. You know, it's like raising everyone's property tax. It's pushing people out of this area. You know, that sucks. People who are like first time homeowners are trying to like look for spots, you know, just even over here in like Southern Orchards and like Old Town area, like all, like everything over here, kind of like on the East side of Parsons, you know, and it's like those houses have doubled or tripled in price. It's this crazy time right now of how does any of this stuff make sense? You know, I feel like the crest down here, which was like, really like, like, like to me, that was the first anchor, you know, like that was the first like kind of restaurant, like down in this space. And then they had Alchemy right next to it. I think the crest right now is maybe closed. I can't remember. Last time we went by it, it was just a bunch of chairs in there. I think that location might be, I don't know what they're doing with it, but the other one on Indianola, I think is open. Yeah. And I've, and I've talked to Abed a few times, some of the owners and it's like, they, I've heard lots of ideas of what they want to do with that space. And I'm sure it's just like anything else, like it takes time and money. They've, they've got a lot of balls in the air with their concepts too. But, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, especially when we talk like, you know, we're good buddies with the Parsons North guys, you know, and just kind of like, so we're always talking about like, you know, how are things going with you? And like, how are you, you know, how are your guests doing? And, you know, it's like, you, we all kind of built this like nice little community, you know, around here, you know, and it's, it's great, but it's hard to say, I, I, I guess like in general, I don't feel like it's changed that dramatically, you know, then it's like the further you go into German village, the more it stays the same. They're very adverse to change over there. Exactly. Right. I mean, Chapman's is like the, the, the most latest thing that's been there that was new. And I know BJ said he's, you know, had lots of challenges with just like trying to make sure that, you know, that what hoops he had to jump through. But yeah, so I don't know, man. It's 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 this thing where I'm 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 hoping that it I don't know with like what future development looks like and like how much more like is beneficial in like a long term versus like what's really the you know change for changes say. I don't know. It's a, it's complicated, I guess is the big piece. Yeah. 
How did uh, the collaboration with Parable Coffee come about? Because originally you guys, when you first opened Commune, you guys were doing lunch and everything. And then obviously pandemic kind of wipes that out. And then that kind of creates this opportunity. How did all that come together? We had known Ben, Ben and Jeffrey for a long time. So Ben Willis, uh, there's three owners to Parable right now, Ben, Jeffrey, and Wyatt. So we had known Ben for a long time. I lived down the street from one line over in the short north. So we would always go there. So we'd known Ben that way. He was roommates with our old front of house manager, lots of connections. When we were opening, we were going to be doing like a, again, it's kind of like, again, like that kind of all day cafe style. And we were going to have a bigger coffee program and Ben was going to run it. Ben was like, like, Hey man, like we're going to do this thing. And he's like, sweet dude. He's like, this sounds exciting. It was a different move for his career. So this is like, you know, back in you know 2018 when we're talking to him about this. And so we had everything kind of lined up. And then like a couple of weeks before we opened, he was like, Hey man, he's like, it's gonna be tough to keep the quality that you guys are gonna be expecting. Like there's not a whole lot of money in coffee, you know? And it's just like how you guys are figuring this thing out and just like paying baristas and or making sure that everyone's trained properly to like pull a proper spro and do all these different things. It's just like, he's like, I don't know if it really makes a whole lot of sense for you guys. And I was like, okay, we're killing it. And so we just like weeks before we opened, we're like, okay, return the, you know, return the espresso machine. We'll just do drip coffee. You know, we were working with one line anyway to help source beans because we just like loved what they were able to get. So that was back in like 2018. Ben and Jeffrey continued at one line. They did their thing. And once the pandemic hit and things started to shift, they were, because they had talked to me a little bit about like, hey, we're thinking about maybe branching off and doing our own concept. And I was like, cool, man. Like, I'm happy to share with you anything I've learned from like being a business owner. Like, you know, do you want investors? Do you want to go to a bank? Here's the pros and cons to each. Like, here's how much money it usually takes, you know, for a space. Like, you should be looking around for these, you know, like just bigger picture, you know, business things to help get them like thinking about it. Cause they also have some pretty like, you know, aggressive, but like newer ideas of like how pay structures work, how ownership works, how like all that kind of looks, uh, kind of fast forward to this summer. And they were like, Hey, we're thinking about starting this business. Would you be open to maybe having us do a pop-up out of here? And I was like, yeah, man, of course. Like, you know, we're not doing lunch. I don't know if we're ever going to go back to doing lunch or like when that makes any sense. Wyatt had a bunch of equipment already. Cause he had been his own business. Uh, several different times. He was already doing a pop-up or he was doing some coffee out of uh, Brothers Drake. Yeah, so he was a little ghost. Uh, he's several different names. I'm trying to think of all the different things that Wyatt had, had, had kind of gone under. So they had equipment and I was like, guys, I'm like, the bar set up for coffee. Like everything was plumbed. It's all there. Yeah, if you want to like bring some stuff in, set it up and give it a shot. Like, you know, I think like the idea of, you know, especially right now during like, like during the pandemic, like, hey, if I can support some people who are trying to pivot into their own business and figure that thing out, like everything is incredibly challenging from a small business standpoint, you know? And it's like, if I can help give these guys a little bit of a leg to stand on and just kind of figure it out, it's like, why not? So that was kind of the start. And so we kind of worked out, you know, the final details. I think they opened in October of uh, last year and it's been kind of like going kind of ever since, you know? And I think right now, you know, we talked in the beginning of the year of like, maybe there's like a six month agreement that we kind of have, and then it would kind of go month to month and we'll kind of see like the, I think they're looking for a space ultimately, but I'm just like, you know, happy to, have them just like, you know, be here and, you know, kind of share the space. You know, a lot of the thought is just like in this new world, like how do you share space differently? How do you, you know, think of business just like in a different world and a different way? So yeah, so it's, it's been it's been cool. I mean, I, th- I think they're doing some of the best coffee in the city. So this question comes from Chef Carlos. And Carlos, I apologize if you're listening to this, I'm going to butcher your last name. And I feel bad as somebody who has a complicated last name. Esquire, he's a executive chef over Market Italian Village. He's the previous guest. When we have someone on, we have them leave a question behind for the next person that comes on the podcast. So his question for you, and he didn't know you were coming on or anything, but it's what movie, when it comes on, stops you basically with whatever you're doing and just kind of sucks you into watching it? Mm, 
That's a good question. Let me think about this. I'm a huge fan of like the late 80s and 90s, like action flicks, the cheesy ones. Like if Total Recall was on, I'd probably like keep watching that one. It's like a good entertaining flick. I'm just, I don't know. It's like, it's like trying to think of anything else that would just like draw me in. I don't watch a lot of like movies right now. Like I haven't sat down for a movie in a very long time, but I would say like, that's one that like always is kind of like near and dear to my heart. Maybe the Matrix too. Like if any of the Matrix like were on, I'd be like, yeah. What's the question you want to leave behind for the next person who comes on the podcast? Uh, I would say, what's the one thing you would do differently if you can go back? It could be business related, it could be personal, it could be anything, but just like what, you can go back and change one decision. So we got a few more questions. We ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast. They tweak a little if you're a chef or restaurant owner or sommelier, but for the most part, you can get kind of a compare and contrast across all the episodes. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your career thus far when you look back on it? I mean, like my gut instinct kind of goes to my dad just because like he instilled in me like this insane work ethic that I think has just like made me and really shaped me into like the person I am and like has made me like be successful in the kind of like worlds and roles that I have been. So like, as far as like an influence in that perspective of like all these careers, like even at like Victoria's Secret, like I didn't plan on that being a career. It was just like, I was 22 and I'm like, I need to get paid. And I'm like, I have an art background. Like, what can I do? Like, how can I help? And then just like, kind of moved up the ranks there. You know, it was just like this thing that turned into a career, you know, and then like the restaurants. And then I never planned to own a restaurant, you know, and now it's like, okay, well now I do. So what does this look like? So it's, you know, and even past commune, like whatever's next after this, it's like, I don't know what that looks like, but figure it out once we get there. What's the one thing in a restaurant, in your restaurant, if it breaks, you're not trying to fix it yourself. You're calling somebody. Doesn't matter what it costs to fix. You're like, I'm not touching this. Oh my God, there's so many things. Oh my gosh. Uh, I would say if it's electrical, I'm for sure calling somebody. So many, I mean, there's like so many parts. I mean, man, like anything on the line, like the hood busting, I guess, yeah, literally anything on the line. So burners, grill, fryer, I mean, any of that stuff, any big equipment. I'm like, dude, I'm not touching it. You know, and again, like most chefs like are used to kind of like, you know, they'll be like looking around for the hammer to like bang something in a place or whatever it is. But I'm like, I don't know, man, I just, it, it's, these things all cost a bunch of money. I'm like, my hand, like just let's just call it professional. If you could offload one task of being a restaurant owner. So the scenario I'm going to give for this is you already have this person within your restaurant. So it's it's somebody, whether they're a server, chef, whatever, they have this kind of talent. And they're like, hey, you know, I can help you out with this, whether it's social media, marketing, budgeting, whatever. What's that one task that you would offload? It wouldn't cost you anything to offload it to them. They're volunteering. They want to do it. They're good at it. What's the one thing that you're like, cool, I can get this off my plate? That's a really good question. And it's, and it's a good question. And it's hard for me to answer because my back again, like from corporate, like I'm pretty good at like delegating. That's like what I know. Like if I'm not an expert, I find people who are, and I surround myself with those people. So I have no, like, if I'm not good at it, I definitely have found that person who is, and they're helping me. So it's like the, I'm trying to think of like what causes me the most stress. <laughs> Inventory, payroll, marketing, social media. Like our friend helps us with social and she's like amazing at it. Like has just been absolutely killing it. A longtime friend, she's just been like, been amazing. So it's like, that's okay. Like payrolls, like pretty straightforward. Like I know my front of house manager now, like hates handling scheduling. You know, I don't want to deal with this. I already have someone, you know, dealing with the the pains of like trying to make sure everyone scheduled properly and has enough hours and all the shifts and vacation time and all that jazz. I don't know, like the hardest part that I wish I can offload, but doesn't make any sense to is just like, it's like the forecasting. You know, it's like the future stuff. It's like, there's no crystal ball that you can just like look into. You know, so it's just, to me, if anything, it's more of like, I would want more people involved that I can like constantly have a team of people to be like, come in and let's talk about what this looks like in the future. How are we getting everyone together to like make the smartest decisions we can? 
I'm, yeah, it's like that to me is like the biggest, I guess like the biggest trust I have right now is just forecasting the future. Cause I mean, everything else is keeping up with like the business, the day-to-day, like the numbers and stuff like, yeah, man, that's like my job. Like I actually find enjoyment in it. You know, it's like, it's my, my ass on the line again. So it's like, I wouldn't want to have someone else deal with that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have like a, a good answer. If, if anything, I'm like, I would want more collaboration on like how we all think about the future. One restaurant you'd recommend that isn't your own, you know, somebody's flying through Columbus, they get stuck at the airport, flight won't go out till the following day. You guys aren't open that day. They're like, hey, Joe, where should I go eat? I got to grab a bite to eat. You'd point them in this direction. Uh, the couple that come to mind, like immediately. So like right now, a good example is we're closed on Tuesdays for the time being. And so I think about places who are open on Tuesdays and I'm like, my first gut is I'm like, I'm sending people to Veritas. If someone really wants like, I mean, I think Josh is doing some of the best food in Columbus, you know? If not the best, like what they're doing is pretty wild and for like the price that they're even charging for it is like very fair, you know, for what you're getting. It's like, it's insane. And I wish people really understood like, and maybe and appreciated more of like what he's really trying to do. So I would say that I feel like I just have been going to Chapman's for a little bit, like on some of our days off. So that's been awesome too. Those are two that like quickly come to mind. I mean, again, it's like all the places that I know, like, again, because a lot of this is my first question to anyone is like, well, what do you like eating? And then that's always going to like narrow things down. Like, oh, I love Vietnamese food. I'm like, okay, well, maybe check out Indochine. Although I feel like I just heard that they're changing things over. You know, where it's like, oh, night. I'd be like, dude, just go to Veritas. You're going to be blown away. And I would go there. Like, I would go there on like Tuesdays when we had first to kind of reopen for COVID. Because we had like, Tuesday was like an office day. So I'd be like wrapping up. And Ben, our old head bartender, was their lead over there, Ben Greist. And so I just like sit at the bar. And it's like, yeah, man, there's a small little bar snacks menu. That's awesome. Or you can get the tasting menu at the bar. And it's like, that's to me like the easiest entry. It's like, dude, just walk in whenever, sit at the bar and just like hang out, have some awesome drinks. That to me is like always the, it's the move. So you've done a lot of traveling, but is there a bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant that you haven't been to that you want to go to? Yeah. I mean, this, not that this sounds like cliche, but I never had a chance to go to Noma and I'd love to like really kind of just like get that experience, you know, of what it is. I think right now I'd also be really pumped to go to 11 Madison Park because of just like how they've changed over to like what their menu is right now and just like their focus. And just again, like I'm really interested in just like seeing people, you know, focus on ingredients, whether it's like fully plant-based or like mostly or whatever it is, but just like how creative can it get in those worlds? And that's where I'm like, yeah, if you're going to a tasting menu and you're, you know, the experience is, you know, everything's dialed, you know, what does that look like? You know, I am bummed. I didn't have a chance. So I, I think we were working a ton when Josh was doing his vegan like tasting menu stuff for like a couple of weeks. I was bummed that I didn't get a chance to go, you know, cause it's like, yeah, man, I want to like, I just want to experience, you know, another chef's hand at like creating these experiences of just what does vegan, vegetarian, plant-based, like however the words that you want to call it, you know, what do they think about it? And like, what are the flavors that, that they come up with? And that's the part to me that like, is if there's a space that's doing that, like I'm pumped to go try it out. Craziest thing you've seen happen in your restaurant? You know, honestly, it's been pretty tame. There hasn't been anything too, too crazy. There was recently a couple, a younger couple came in. We're having a good time and they were on the patio. One of our staff members came up and we're like, hey, or one of the servers was like, hey, uh, someone's on the patio. They're like really kind of getting at it on the patio. Like her, like her top was kind of down. They were like really just having a whole experience uh, on the patio. And I was like, that's kind of weird. So that was probably like the weirdest kind of craziest thing that we've seen. I think like small little things that were like this, like also stand out maybe last summer or no, not last, last summer. It was like 2019's Robin came through. I was like, I'm like, that person looks a lot like Robin. And I was like, oh shit, it is Robin. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So like her and her crew got dinner here. That was cool. Warheim came through as well. 
got like lunch here one day. And that was like the one time I was like kind of starstruck. I'm like, damn, like he's here. Like, this is crazy when he was in town for one of his shows. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's been pretty tame. I mean, we haven't had any real big issues. I mean, one time, like I think a car drove by and either kicked up a rock and it like shattered the glass in the front window. And it like, just like completely shattered, but it didn't fall. It just like, you know, it was just like completely broken. Despite the whole thing. And I was like, oh God. So that was kind of like a, a wild thing. But yeah, we, we've been pretty, pretty tame over here. I mean, like, you know, nothing too crazy. I mean, a couple weeks ago, I think there was a small fire across the street. That was kind of weird. There was a SWAT team last summer that like was dealing with a house down here. That was kind of strange. I mean, there's like always some weird shit going on, but it's, it's hard to say it look crazy. Like, I don't think there's been anything too insane. Food or drink guilty pleasures or anything that you just can't get enough of, you know, it's, you know, bad for you or, you know, you're going up and down the aisles of the grocery store and you kind of try and avoid that aisle because this thing's down there. Anything like that? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm going to plug a restaurant. That's one of my favorite spaces or favorite spots in the city uh, is Gourmet Pizza. I think Nick over at Gourmet is doing the best pizza in the city. I will say that kind of hands down. His dough just like has like a three-day ferment on it. It's like just awesome. He it's just like it's the only pizza in the city that I feel like I can eat and not feel like shit immediately after. It's like light enough. You know, like I always go and get like a vegetarian chef's choice. So like they just like make up some random vegetarian pie for me every time. It always slays. I always end up getting three of them. I'm there every week. It's like it's like we have like pizza nights all the time. It's like also down the street from my house. And so like we've built a relationship over the last few years. One I will shamelessly plug every time I get a chance. It's amazing. Give that guy some more business. So that's one thing that like, I literally probably can't go without if, if you know, everyone there like knows me and they're like, oh, here comes Joe, you know, because I would go there and just like eat three pizzas myself, like after work one day or something. The other thing that's like, I guess like kind of the other, like, I don't say trash food, guilty pleasure, like Trader Joe's has these little dunkers they're called. They're like little kind of like skinny chocolate chip, kind of like cookie thingies, but with like chocolate on, on like the reverse side too. I will eat a bunch of those uh, for sure. I feel like trash afterwards. So I try to not do it. Just like, again, like once you're kind of vegetarian for a long enough time, like your body kind of responds to when it's like, when you're putting crap in you, it's like, oh yeah, this, this doesn't feel great, but this is just delicious. And I can't say no to it. Uh, the other thing is like chips. My wife and I eat so many chips. It's like a thing that we just either have to not buy in the house. Cause like, you can't just like have a few chips. It's like you're eating an entire bag, tortilla chips. There's a dip. There's something else. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, we know we have a problem. Those are the, the guilty pleasures I would say. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. If you are, is there a you know moment, episode, scene that really stands out to you about him? Or if you aren't, is there anybody who was on TV from either like a travel host or chef kind of perspective, whether it was, you know, Emerald or, you know, whoever that kind of not necessarily influenced you to become a restaurant, but like you kind of gravitated towards maybe when you're starting to get into the restaurant scene and everything? Yeah. I mean, I didn't get super big into Bourdain prior. Like I knew him just through like his personality status. Like, you know, of him, I mean, you, you can't, there's no way to not know of him. And so, but I think when I was getting into the restaurant, I think at some point I ended up reading Kitchen Confidential, you know, and just like, I think everyone's talking about it. Like you have to read this book. Like there's this like, again, this like kind of like no nonsense, no bullshit kind of take that he has like this very realistic sense of what the industry kind of is and like how the world works. And it's just like, and again, it's, it's evolved since then. I don't know. Like I kind of just like really appreciated just one having a bit of experience with the restaurants. I think I read it maybe two years ago, but I had a little bit of ex just experience with the restaurant. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I see all these things that you're talking about and the way it works and party lifestyle, you know, like working hard, working a shit ton of hours, getting out late, going out drinking till the bar closes, then getting up and doing it all over again. And just like, you know, that life of excess that ends up happening kind of like outside the restaurant hours that are just like grueling bits. And I was like, okay, cool. I see all these things and I kind of relate to it now more. That to me is like with him what it is. And I just always also like appreciated just like a lot of his 
like his general thought to like, especially like on TV and stuff, just like to go off like the beaten path and see all the, you know, the places that are again, like doing things, you know, whether it's like more authentically, because like, that's just like how they do it and kind of sharing that kind of ability for like the, the weird and potentially unknown, you know? So that, I thought was that, 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 that was cool. Where can people find you? Plug everything, social media, website, reservations, all that stuff. Commune. So our website is www.commune. And that's with one M spelled incorrectly on purpose. So I forget, uh, forgive me for all these spell check issues. Commune-restaurant.com. Uh, we're on Instagram as commune underscore restaurant. Reservations, you can find us on Resi. There's links pretty much everywhere you look for us. There's a link to find reservations. Uh, reservations are highly recommended for anything currently with the patio. I know it's a kind of sought after little space that we've got here. Uh, we don't open it up until like kind of the day of just because weather has been awful this year. I mean, we haven't really had like, I think we had one week of nice weather. Every, everything else has been rain or chance of rain. Or it's just crazy anyway. But so we don't open it up till like the day of and we know for sure it's going to be good weather. But if you are interested, just put a note in your reservation, like, hey, patio preference if possible. Um, and we'll try to accommodate you guys first. I mean, that's, uh, I guess, the best places. You guys are open Wednesday through Sunday or... Uh, Wednesday through Saturday. So yeah, so right now we're dinner only Wednesday through Saturday, five to 10. That 10 is kind of a hard stop with, with the kitchen. So we try to make sure the last reservations usually in by 845. We want to make sure people have enough time to kind of come in and get like a good experience. If you come in after that, it's just like, hey, you know, kitchen's wrapping up, you know, at 10. So just try to get everything in. We'll probably add a Tuesday at some point. I think I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. Again, it's, there's lots of things that need to go along with that staffing, you know, like how this whole thing shakes. So we'll probably open that up. I know I've had a lot of requests for lunch and brunch. I just don't know when it makes sense for us, uh, especially with Parable downstairs. I'd rather give them the space because I, I also have a hard time thinking like how we share that space in a way uh, if we're both doing service that isn't impacting one of the other businesses. So that'll be like maybe way down the road. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if anyone's interested and in just like, especially as like summer's kind of starting to wind down, we're going to be sticking with this menu for the next couple of weeks. And then working on a new fall menu, I think for, I think early October is kind of like our goal right now. I always tell people my commune at this point is like the most accessible it's probably ever been. So if you're interested in, curious about trying out some cool, kind of weird, but interesting, you know, plant-based food, vegan, vegetarian, like come by and give us a shot. You know, I think it'll be kind of pleasantly surprised. Yeah, the place is awesome. I mean, we've always had nothing but great experiences. If you ever take the bread and spread off the menu, then you'll hear probably from us. But otherwise, we welcome menu changes. I think we order that like every time we're in there. Even, you know, even the desserts. I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but I've had different vegetarian and vegan. A lot of times you can taste like even when we went to like restaurant at Meadowood out in Napa, they had like this kind of chocolate pudding thing. You could taste the herbaceousness in it, which was kind of like a little off-putting. But with you guys and like the desserts, if no one told you that it was vegetarian, vegan dessert, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't be able to put two and two together unless someone, you know, you knew where you're at. So you guys are one of the best restaurants we got here in Columbus. I think it works in any city. You take it to Chicago, it'd work. You take it to San Francisco, it'd work. You put it in New York, it'd work. And that's kind of the measure of a great restaurant is if you could put it in a bigger city somewhere else, would it still survive? And I think without question, you guys would. So. And I really appreciate, you know, and I think that's one of the, to me, like one of the best compliments that we've gotten from Commune, I think ever since we had opened. And we get this a lot from people who've traveled mostly, you know, people who either transplants to Columbus because they lived in New York and moved here from the West Coast and then they moved back or whatever the case is. But it's always like, hey, this feels like, I don't feel like I'm in Columbus. I feel like I'm in New York. I feel like I'm in LA. I feel like I'm in Montreal. I feel like I'm somewhere else other than Columbus. And to me, that's the best compliment that we can get that like, you know, this little tiny spot that's kind of, you know, down here, you know, this nook of, you know, German village, Schumacher, whatever you want to call it, like South side area, 
you know, but it kind of transports you to a place that's not Columbus. And I think that to me is a sign that like, yeah, man, that's what we want this to be is like this experience that we can kind of like take you for a journey, make you feel like it could be somewhere else. You know, and I think someone had just even posted on our Instagram. I'm just like, if Commune was in Brooklyn, they're like, you guys would be like the food and wine darling of that. And it's like, it, and it's wild. You know, I talked to Jacob every couple of weeks. We'll catch up on his days off and just like, you know, I'm always curious to see how, how Contra's doing, like how's, you know, life and business over in New York, just catch him up on the stuff that that's going on here. But, you know, his idea is like, yeah, man, he's like, if you guys are out here, you guys would do really well, you know? And again, cause like New York's so dense, it's like, and they support the restaurants that are around them in their neighborhoods. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you guys would do a killing. And it's just like the idea that if I can make this thing work in Columbus, like what could that mean for other things? Not that I want to go to New York and deal with that there or Chicago or somewhere else, but it's just like commune, this idea that probably down what makes commune work here and like, keep like, you know, what would work elsewhere too. And it's a lot of, a lot of things I feel like fell into place. I mean, everyone's always asking like, are you guys gonna open another location? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like uh, Brooke and I would always talk about, you know, we would never open another location until the staff felt like it was the time. We needed to open up space because we needed to provide more advancement for our team. You know, that they're all tapping out. They're like, hey, we've been doing the same thing for a long time. What's the next level for us? And if there was like some money in the bank that we could even afford to do that. But I think like, it always looks good when you go into Excel and go beep, boop, beep, boop. Look, if we had two restaurants, look all this money that we could make. But it's also like, you're doubling your business. Like that's, that's a lot of growth. And it's just, it's scary. I mean, we saw a ton of restaurants that expanded very quickly, maybe like 2018, 2019, prior to COVID, like, shut down. I mean, like I think we saw a bunch of acres close. I think sweet carrot had expanded a bunch. You know, there's a few other spots that just had like this big kind of like very fast growth and then just got smacked because of it. So I think it's like, it definitely is this cautionary tale of just like when you're growing, be careful. I mean, right now, if I was to open another commune, it'd probably be down in Cincinnati. I was just going to say that would probably make the most sense. I mean, I mean, shit is probably like a year and a half, two years ago now, because I think it was pre COVID, but you did the collaboration dinner with pleasantry, which we went to, that was awesome. So yeah, I mean, you kind of have that natural support system, I feel like kind of down there too, as well, where it would make kind of more sense where, oh, I don't, you know, where are you guys getting your stuff from down here? Cause I don't want to cart it all the way from like Columbus, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, to me, that would be the more natural fit if there was something versus Cleveland. I'm from around Cleveland. I don't know if like Cleveland has the scene to like keep it alive, you know, the way that it's like hard for me to say, Cause I'm like, I haven't been up there for long enough to really like get a f- sense of what would make sense. There's restaurants up there that are doing, you know, very well, but it's again, I'm like, would we really fit in and would it make sense up there? I feel like there's more of that charming character that like we'd be looking for from like a building size and like everything else. Um, and again, some of that support system that's down there, but I also don't, it's hard for me to say from like, are there people that would want to frequent it enough to make the business viable? You know, again, like I look at please and like, did people come out and support please the whole time? Or has it been this like, how did that look? You know, with pleasantry, I know it's been like this constant, like up and down, like that, you know, I talked to Dan and it sounds like things are going great now, but it's like also been several years that they've been at it. It's just like, it's hard. I mean, the restaurant industry is hard. I mean, it's hard no matter what, and I just don't have enough, like real, I mean, background in like Cincinnati, you know, like real people show up consistently all the time to support. So we'll see. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's a scary part, you know, just like there's so much debt with these things. And like the reality is like, how does it make sense? And it all comes back down to like the team, you know, if you don't have the team in place to scale properly, it's like, there's no point opening up something. And then it just like withers on the vine. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you think about like, if you start a restaurant and you get to this point, where it's like successful, it's doing well, it's everything's kind of running as smooth as a restaurant can. It's like, cool, you want to put it all back on the line again? Like it's kind of a gambler's mentality almost where it's like, oh yeah, I'm up, you know, whatever at the table. Like, yeah, let's just roll it again. Like, let's see what happens. Yeah, and, uh, for sure. I mean, and I think that that's the part that, 
you know, it just depends again, we're like, where's the money coming from? And that's the hard part with, and this is again, the issue I, I, I feel like kind of, like we keep kind of coming back to is like, it's hard for someone to get into a business or as a, to be a small business owner. If there's no, like you need money to do it, like, or you need the support to be able to quit your job and do something and then to like invest into it. Like, you know, again, fortunately I was able to work at a, a big corporation that, you know, paid me well enough that I could save up to do this thing. Um, if I didn't have that, this for sure would not have existed, not yeah. nearly in the hand that, it, that, that it is. And so it's just like challenging. And again, when you think about like how much money goes into these restaurants, especially now, it's like, I mean, you know, all in, it's like, you know, commune is probably close to a million dollars, you know? And it's like, and I think about what we did, it's like, we still had to like, there's so many areas that we had to like save money on. And so when I look at other development, like people may in their head be like, oh, that's like, you know, $250,000. I'm like, no, that's like $750,000. Like there's, you know, there's more to it. And just like the numbers get crazy and it's like, okay, so what does that look like? What does that debt look like? And it's just, that's the part that gets crazier and crazier. It's just like how these things again, make sense financially. Cause again, it is a business and not that, you know, it's like, I haven't made any money off this restaurant yet. You know, like at some point, maybe, you know, come year eight, maybe there's like, you know, a, a, a paycheck that I can see, but it's like, I don't know, man, until then it's just like trying to keep this thing floating. As I mentioned, it's like, you know, the trains up the tracks now it's just like holding on, you know, yeah. it's, you know, trying to do the best we can. And I think at the end of the day, what I rely on is that I think if we do the best that we can and what we think is right, I think people will, will feel that. And uh, it's going to draw people in, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Again, like, like you're saying with like some of the accolades and kind of like, I mean, always kind of being in like that top, top five, top 10 list of best restaurants in the city. Like that's huge for us. I mean, again, we're a, a weird vegetarian restaurant, you know, but we're competing with like some of the best ones that are out there, like in the city. So that to me means like, you know, we're on the right path. We're doing something right. You know? And to me, it's just like, that's how, like, how do we just continue that? continue to like kind of beat people's expectations, subvert their expectations, keep, you know, make sure that the bread is bread still hits, you know, every single time, you know, like all those parts, that consistency and just like the experience and I mean, all of it, just how do we continue doing it? And I just, I hope that we're, you know, able to, especially considering all the shit going on right now in the world. We're glad that you guys are back. It's an awesome experience. Can't recommend it enough. Can't thank you enough you know, for the time coming on the podcast. Open invitation, whenever you got something to plug, it doesn't, you know, have to be an hour to our 15 minutes, new menu, whatever. Open invitation anybody's ever come on. We want to support you guys as much as you can since you guys support us, you know, coming on and everything. So appreciate it. Stay in touch. I'm sure we'll see you soon over at Commune because it's one of the few restaurants that we can walk to from where we're at. We always like doing that too as well. So good luck with everything coming up. Like I said, stay in touch. and We'll see you soon. Yeah, sounds great. Big thanks again to Joe Glotti for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of his morning to come and chat with me about just life of being a restaurant owner, uh, a small restaurant, independent restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, and challenges with COVID and all that stuff. So uh, it was really awesome to kind of hear that perspective of somebody that you don't normally get. If only had one other kind of sole restaurant owner, Brandon Grissetti of a pigeon who wasn't a chef or anything like that. We've had other people who are chef owners, you know, Josh Dalton, BJ Lieberman, stuff like that. But just somebody who's only operating as a restaurant owner. We've only had a couple of people so far, but look to get to have more of those types of people on the podcast here soon in the near future. Uh, make sure to follow them on Instagram at Galati Pants. You can also follow Commune at Commune underscore restaurant. 
Make sure to follow us too as well at SpoonMob on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SpoonMob1, SpoonMob.com for all the chef profiles, wine reviews, all that stuff, list of episodes, chefs and guests, whatnot. Make sure to subscribe, follow to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. We're on pretty much all the platforms, um, all the major ones that you know, but also all the obscure ones too that you don't know, unless you, for some reason, really love their podcast app or player or whatever so make sure to give us a follow subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the new episodes and stuff that we have coming up check out parts now known which usually comes out on wednesdays make sure to check out other past episodes of chefs and guests too as well those all come out on thursdays you could find a list of all the episodes if you don't want to go back through the feed on the podcast app you can go to the website click on podcast chefs and guests and we'll have a breakdown of corresponding number who was on that episode just makes it a little bit easier to find it you can click through the link too as well on the website and it'll take you right to the apple Podcasts. also the link in our instagram too as well will take you either to apple Podcasts or spotify so that's pretty much uh, it for this week appreciate everybody listening helping spread the word feel free to email us spoonmob at yahoo.com you can also send in questions comments feedback through the contact portal on the website rate review subscribe all that good stuff that's about it we'll talk to you guys next week